Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey, 30 at Godfrey on all the social media. There you go. And you can follow them all over the place else, elsewhere as well. Uh, Split Zone Duo, Secret Base, all kinds of cool stuff. So make sure you check them out. Stephen, good to have you back on the show today, my man. Hi, guys. Braden, you're in a much nicer place than I am. <laughs> Godfrey, we can't see your face like that. Yeah, oh, no, he, can't. he keeps Sorry. talking when he I talks into I keep trying his... to move. The, yeah, yeah. Since <laughs> since I've last been on the show, I have a different mic set up. So I'm just sort of eating this like my face is. It's like Wizard was... of Oz, but Wizard yeah. of Oz. I just talk sideways into it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, no, the profile the profile shot's nice. Uh, and this oh, is, of course, why you subscribe to the YouTube page. Check out the videos because then you can see all the things we just talked about. Also, where I'm sitting, of course, as well. Fancy Isle of Palms. Down on the Atlantic coast, which, which does still exist, by the way, after the, the rain came through and took some of the beach. But the kids are out there having a good time. So it's, it's too big of a week. my job to be in exotic locations That's when recording, true. so I don't appreciate that. That is true. So, Stephen, great to have you here on the show. Of course, we're going to talk a lot. Of, we're going to talk a little Bama, Bryce Young, Bama, Tennessee, third Saturday in October. What's going on with Auburn? Uh, the state of... Mississippi is now the epicenter of all of college football, along with the state of Kansas. I think that's fantastic. Uh, the middle class, of course, and maybe some bad luck slash injuries slash what's going on with LSU, Kentucky and Arkansas, just to figure out if it's scheduling. What you know, Should people be down about their teams if they're one of those three? Should they be excited because it was maybe a run of some other things that they were out of their control? We'll, we'll discuss some of that today, uh, of course, on the pod. However, Aaron Dugan, before we do any of that, no guests today on the show because Steven is too good. Uh, Aaron we here at French Element are brought to you by J.E. Dunn, um, the world's the world's best place to work ever. And Godfrey, I know you have a lot of jobs, but if you ever need I a do, job, yes, yeah, they would maybe hire you. They have very high standards, but they take care know. of their people. They do take care of their people. Top one hundred healthiest place to work in the United States, Stephen. Five billion in annual revenue. Twenty five. 25 offices across the country, a bunch of them in the Southeast. And if you'd like to change careers, make a smart decision. Go to jdunn.com and check it out. You don't need any experience. They will even hire people with audio video experience like Aaron, with journalistic backgrounds like you. I don't even know what my expertise is, but they will hire all of us because they don't need any of that. What they need is someone who wants to work hard and be a part of a team. And that's it. They, they care about you as much as you care about you, which is pretty cool in 2022, actually. They especially like geniuses that kind of may or may not have almost failed out of Ole Miss, not because they couldn't do it, but because they stopped they trying. Did because they didn't want to. Because, <laughs> they to didn't, because they didn't listen to reason. Come to J.E. Dunn, where we take slackers. Uh, no, <laughs> jdunn.com, of course. Uh, again, also voted the healthiest place to work in Nashville. So if you're in Nashville, make sure you check out jdunn.com. It's really not all that crazy, guys. Just care about the people, care about the people that work for you in their actual lives. It's amazing what a happy, healthy employee will do for you. It's really it's really quite quite something. Uh, jdunn.com. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I want to start not with Bama and Bryce Young and not with Alabama and Tennessee in the third Saturday in October. I want to start with the epicenter of college football, that exact school that Stephen refused to go to class in, the Ole Miss Rebels, the Mississippi State Bull Puppies. What What is happening? How did this happen? How are we here Ole Miss's defense looks good. The offensive line is good. We knew that. We knew Lane Kiffin was solid. The quarterback is now coming around. They're beating teams they're supposed to. Mississippi State is not doing Mississippi State things. Yeah. So, so what is happening? Why is the state of Mississippi and technically Kansas now the epicenter of college football? Well, for one, it's the halfway point. 
Okay, so like we haven't seen. I'm I'm not trying to immediately downplay it, but as someone with a lot of experience in Mississippi, <laughs> y'all, I I've seen this story before. Like I've seen, you know, short of 2014 when they had they shared the cover of Sports Illustrated. You guys remember that? Like pretty much we we've seen these like quick ascensions before followed by like a swift and brutal return to reality. I don't know if you're going to see that just by virtue of the schedule in terms of like neither one of these teams is going to crater. Definitely. They are well built. The plans that they put in place when they hired these two coaches are working. That's like without a shadow of a doubt. Very positive about that. Uh, suspicious more about Ole Miss down the stretch. They will play a higher quality of conference opponent. Uh, Mississippi State, though, like where I'm like what I'm interested in right now is. You guys know my stance on the Heisman, and yet, you know, I've seen these memes coming out of Mississippi State about like, do they have a Heisman quarterback statistically? I mean, right now, I kind of laugh. I know, I don't right, know about you. Right. I don't know about you, Aaron, but I know you do, Stephen. Like, I see people like, oh, here's so and so in my Heisman bout, and I just kind of go, I, like, okay, well, we got like the whole season to go still, and it's just it's hard right. for me to get into. But will so is, they, will is Will Rogers great, and he's winning games that he's not? Maybe Mississippi State doesn't normally win. Yeah, yeah. So do you okay. guys remember? Do you remember Leach's first game in the league? Uh, KJ KJ Costello right. torching Bo Pelini smack in the middle of the pandemic. Like we we were all distracted, but it was like I still believe it. He has the record, right? The SEC single game passing yardage total in Leach's first game in the league. We kind of laughed at it at the time. The Bo Pelini side of that took more of the conversation. But just to check in with Mississippi State, if you aren't a Mississippi State fan, or for whatever reason you just you don't follow that part of the West, or you know maybe you're a Big Ten fan or whatever. Everyone said Mike Leach would struggle when he came to the SEC and struggle is a very gentle way of putting it. He has not. He has not. He is. He absolutely has not. The thing that strikes me about both of these programs from a distance is talent wise, they have become more consistent than any of than than the last, I would say, the previous three decades of SEC football, meaning that they are not rising and falling so much as they are maintaining. Now, is it it's is it still an ever competitive league? Absolutely. Small sample size. Sure. Right. Again, but the roster drop off at Ole Miss this year, the quick and easy narrative this summer was, hey, they're going to come back down to earth, right? They've lost the quarterback play. They don't have the battery that they need at all. Guilty. Hand right? Up the, hand up in the air. Guilty. Totally. Absolutely. Aaron, right? Yeah. Like I spent all summer saying, I don't know if they can replace that kind of talent. Right. Well, because they don't historically. They never have. They never have. I mean, like I... I was a beat writer on the team. It was my first job out of college right after Manning left. Eli Manning left. And they started a kid named Michael Spurlock. And by week like four or five, they had started two more, two other quarterbacks. And in the David Cutcliffe era, that was a big deal. You don't see that now. Now, Jackson Dart was a good quarterback coming in. The thing that I find interesting, and I'm curious what y'all think, or, or if there's another like instantly recognizable example of this. It looks like Dart is picking it up more in the last couple of weeks as he goes. And I'm and my question is like, well, that seems odd. He should have had the knowledge, the reps, and the the physical memory of it. But then I'm thinking they really wanted Altmeyer to stay on the roster, right? So I don't know if you can tell where I'm going with this. I think they really did go tried and true 50-50 the entire offseason, the entire summer, into August, into reps. If you remember, Altmeyer started their second game. They did that Michigan thing that everyone everyone freaked out at the beginning of the season because Michigan had sequential rotation of starting quarterbacks, right? Uh, when you're a 52-point favorite, it's okay. You can switch quarterbacks. Exactly. Well, yeah, because they were playing like Hawaii and Colorado State. Ole Miss did the same thing. I can't remember the team. One was like a FCS team. I remember that. And I think maybe the other was Tulsa. Doesn't matter. 
they I, they've settled on Dart, obviously. And I think he's having to catch up a little bit. And then that may be a reason. Honestly, I guess this is insane to say out loud. Lane Kiffin's diplomacy and his and his like mature management for roster. I can't even say it without laughing is maybe why there's you're seeing that accelerating sort of in-season learning curve for Dart rather than honestly, when he transferred in, my guess is that that staff knew he would be the number one. Like they just knew. I would have to agree with pretty much all of that. And just watching Ole Miss this past weekend and, and maybe this like a little bit of a, such a Steven word, like a microcosmic example of like how long it took them to really get their footing against Vanderbilt. Because if all you saw was the score of the Vanderbilt Ole Miss game from this past Saturday, it would not indicate how that game actually went. Um, I was actually at the game. It was homecoming this past weekend. And so we were all there and um, it, if you, again, if you just saw the score, it's, the first half did not look like the final score looked. And I would say <laughs> right. that it took Jackson Dart like a, a while to get his feet under him. And then once they were able to do that, they were able to show, you know, some pretty impressive things on offense. And a lot of their, I mean, a lot of the lead that Ole Miss started to take had to do with like huge chunk plays and, you know, receivers being in the right place and Jackson Dart actually yeah. being able to make that connection. But it did take them a long time to get started. You, you ah. never you never want to start analysis of a team with after allowing four consecutive scores by Vanderbilt, the defense found its footing like that's not that's not a complimentary uh, but sentence, I'll, but I'll they give, did. But they did. Clark, I'll, let's give Clark Lee some some serious credit. And it, like I, it's not much of a prediction or going out on a limb here, but I think at the end of this season. That first half against Ole Miss is not going to look as much. It, it's an aberration right now. It looks super weird, right? Like when I was checking in on that game, I was like, what is going on? Is it turnover hell? Is it something like that? And it really wasn't. I think Clark, one, is a really good schemer. I mean, that was his reputation. By, he by was, week. Had two weeks to prepare. Exactly. The guy knows scheme enough. And I think what you saw evidence of is – you know, uh, if you don't know this, defensive and offensive coordinators are, are really, really scripted for like the first quarter, usually the first 15 plays or two drives. Everyone's a little bit different. Then you adjust and then you go, all right, raw athlete that I have on my roster, who's better than the raw athlete across from you? We're going to now, all right, we've seen your punches and now we're going to figure out how do we counter and how do we throw the, you know, how do we do the curveball? Mix in sports metaphors there. But that's what's going to happen when you're Vanderbilt. I was very impressed, though, by the coaching there. And, you know, we're talking about a program on like a five-year track here. So. I, I think going back to your dart thing, and I, I agree with all that with, with Clark Lee and Vanderbilt. I think the dart thing is interesting because he's also not extremely accurate, even at his best. And I think that's where Lane's offense needs to be. It's very timing, rhythm, yes. accuracy driven. So I think they need he needed to be even further along for his particular skill set to work in that offense yeah. because it's not exactly perfect for it. Right. But I do think that both both schools, I mean, they got tough games down the stretch, both of them loaded schedules in the in the month of November. So we're going to see where they finish off. But for right now, we should be celebrating Magnolia State football. And that that's all. That's all. Mississippi State and Ole Miss. We'll get to Auburn and, of course, uh, Kentucky mm. games coming up this weekend. Mm. Um, but I do want to know, like, with Dart, with Will Levis, with Hendon Hooker, Jaden Daniels, like, what do they all have in common? Of course, they're transfers, which is the narrative. Now, I will say, are we too – okay, I don't even know how to ask this because it's kind of just a philosophical question about the game. We've got an expansion of the playoff coming. We want to get more teams involved. We want this game to be more national. Even SEC fans need to know this, that they need to. I know, Godfrey, this is like your thing. But it does feel like we have a healthier, more interesting middle class in college football, in particular in the SEC, than we've had in a long time. Some of that is because teams have hit on coaches and on quarterbacks. But it also feels like we are now extremely quarterback dependent. And I don't know if that's the state Mm -hmm. of the game naturally. 
Like Kentucky, you look at Kentucky. Is that just the way the game of football has always been, that we are just quarterback dependent and that's just the way it's going to be because college football is caught up with the NFL and you need to have a great quarterback to win? Because Kentucky just looks like a completely a completely different different team without Will Levis. What offense are they running, Braden? They're they're running a Shanahan, you know, amal- amalgamation right. of Shanahan and McVeigh, and so uh, you know. Right, right. I think that I think you nailed it. I think it's um, yes, the game is. Uh, some someone's going to be yelling at this as they listen. Like, of course, quarterback play has always been important. Yes, I get that. Was quarterback play as important when teams, as a rule, ran sixty forty run pass? No, it was not. Right. You could bully teams, you could control clocks, you could limit offensive possessions by running the ball and having basically having big fronts on defense. You can't really do any of that stuff anymore. Most of what I just talked about, it's not completely out of football, but it's pretty close, right? I mean, outside so, of service service academies, we ball control is not even something that they that teams aspire towards. So, Aaron, because we have everyone makes Iowa jokes. We all have our own form of the Iowa joke. Oh, but God but, but, it, but Aaron, what is it do you enjoy the game more because it's more quarterback dependent now than it was 20 years ago like steven just said or is it allow teams like kentucky like mississippi state like ole miss that don't normally have those players that we just talked about it allows them to become more competitive quicker or even a program like tennessee to rebuild faster because hendon hooker happened to be the guy for the right time with that coaching staff like what is that good for the game is that better for the playoff? Is that better for more people being involved? Or are we just turning it into a single position where the entire sport is now still dependent on the single position? I mean, you know where my head immediately goes is, you know, when it's not just that, like, run it down your throat offense and just, like, head-to-head on the line all the time and just that contact, I'm thinking less concussions, which is, of course, where my brain goes first. But sure. from a spectator perspective... You're the one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, But from a, I mean, from a spectator perspective, obviously like having those like big chunk plays, a fast moving, like, you know, like receiving game and all of that is definitely interesting when you're watching it on TV. I think that it's more impactful for the viewer. I don't necessarily, I think honestly, the viewers at the core of all of the, you know, the ways that college football in particular is moving. So I think because viewers mean TV, TV means money, and money dictates the sport. So I hate to mm-hmm. bring it back to that. But, I mean, I obviously, I enjoy the fact that, yeah, there's teams that don't have to spend, you know, five, six, seven years completely rebuilding the core and fundamentals and lines of their teams in order to get back to be at a competitive level. Like, Tennessee is able to do what they do without having to take the rebuilding period that Kentucky took um, based on, like, what uh, what kind of offense that they run. So I hear where you're coming from. Well, like Arkansas, like look at Arkansas, like yeah, they're just completely. Are you telling me that all of Sam Pittman's success is now completely dependent on KJ Jefferson? Like that's not the way Arkansas. No, 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 but don't deal in absolutes. The trend, what you're, you're trying to do is identify a trend. It's like steering a ship, you know, it's going to be gradual. Okay. I, I think what Aaron, Aaron's, she had a really good point here. Imagine you're a fan of any rank and file team that's not a top 20 brand name. It is automatically better for you if you can turn a program around in a matter of 18 months than it is six years. So, I, so I that, just said that about Vanderbilt, but that's a different <laughs> circumstance. But, but is yeah, that it's different? No, I agree because again, normally those programs that are programs in the SEC, it's programs like seven through like a like 13, let's say. But yeah. in college in college football, it's the vast majority of them. It, it is, you know programs 22 to 75 
And it takes, you get one great year because you built to it and you built to it and you built to it and you culminated with a bunch of seniors and great line of scrimmage and a good quarterback and the system stuck. And all of a sudden you got, you got to your 10 wins and you competed for a conference championship. Maybe you got to an orange bowl like right. that. That's, that's what it used to be. And now it's Tennessee, Josh Heupel year two, Mike Leach, Will Rogers, KJ Jefferson, Arkansas, Jackson Dart can replace the greatest quarterback, not named Manning in Ole Miss history. And I guess to push it forward, to, to push the conversation forward into playoff expansion is. Isn't that ultimately the point, though, is to have Kentucky and Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Arkansas in believing that they can make a playoff? Isn't that the whole point? Eventually, yeah, I mean, more more or less, yes. I think I think if you can trick them, and now I don't think anything has changed. And I think the bigger problem still persists, which we have what four, five, maybe six, if you want to be like really liberal about it, power programs that are going to dominate that are realistic national title contenders. I think, Braden, what you're saying is, can we sell people on the idea of getting excited about the 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 seed? Yeah, hang a, and I, I definitely hang a sweet think, 16 banner. And I think you absolutely can. I think you absolutely can because, although it is wildly different than basketball, as we know, there's that idea of Arkansas has a 10-win year and is, a, and is the, I don't know how this is going to work, but like the 9 seed. Well, maybe we can pull a first round upset, right? You well, you Ole can Miss, sell that. Ole Miss last year, Tennessee this year, like sure to potential sure. ten win teams that would be irrelevant in a previous system that could have a chance to now actually pull an upset in this system. And, and it I, makes go ahead. No, I was just going back to the original point, Braden. I do agree that when I think about what you're saying in terms of does this give people more of an opportunity, not only from a how quickly can you turn it around phase, but just the pure amount of teams that could maybe make an impact. And I think that also comes down to the fact that when you're you're playing old school, just running the ball down the field like we're talking, there's only so many 350-pound linemen <laughs> like to go right. around. So when you don't have to have like – you know what I'm getting at? Like, yeah, if you yeah, don't, sure, there's only yeah. so many of those guys, yeah. then the game's going to operate in space more in the future. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Which yeah, it already, definitely. I mean, it, it already is. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let's look. I want to ask you guys real quickly then, because I want to talk about the games that actually happened and or, or are coming up because Tennessee, Alabama is great. And Florida, LSU is great. Mississippi state, Kentucky is great. And a lot of good stuff. Um, and I want to know about Auburn, but was it the right decision? Cause I think clearly Nick Saban made the decision not to, to risk not playing Bryce young so that he would be healthy. Ideally for the trip to Knoxville. He knew that was always going to be a better, better, a bigger test. I don't know what it is about Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M uh, and Alabama and why they get together and why they have the highest rated TV games and they play as close as they can. That singular play call, in my opinion, at the end of the game is the entire four year Jimbo Fisher tenure encapsulated into one play at Texas A&M. Uh, you're extremely competitive. You're extremely, you know, you play up to the best team. You've got all the talent in the world and you just like kind of just, Throw it a yard you short. Just, you just can't do it. You just you just leave it short. You throw so it I don't out know. short of the goal line on fourth I, down. It's, just, it's so in, it, into a, like a press cover. Like yeah, what? talk about running a play from 1997. Oh. Um, so do you think it was the right decision to leave Bryce Young on the bench? You obviously got the win, assuming he's healthy against Tennessee. Okay, Aaron. so just to, to oh sorry, I was, yeah, Aaron, I was gonna, come on, sorry, Aaron, go. I was gonna say, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's only, <laughs> but it's only in hindsight that you're for sure that was the right decision because you don't yeah. want to lose to A and M. But in hindsight, yeah, you're definitely glad you you rested Bryce Young, right? I think we won't know until you know if Alabama wins. Moot point, absolutely great, great piece of chess. I'm interested because the two scenarios that we were just describing in terms of the future playoff, like mentality and what you're selling, that's what this weekend is. 
it's the stalwart. It's one of those like ubiquitous brands that can't be stopped, that has figured out how to eliminate all the uncertainties. And then it's the team of the moment, team of the year kind of vibe. And what the measure of, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, eh, probably leave it there, right? The measure of those programs is how really now it's how they meet those teams that are red hot and built in a very similar manner to them in the moment. And in this case, it's going to be on the road. So if Alabama wins this game, it's unfortunately just because we're all kind of numb at this point to the narrative. It's it's just reinforces the concept of how consistent Saban is. Yeah, I I I don't for some reason, and I I think I I think it's probably because what's happening in my head is what you just described, which is I am numb. I don't think Tennessee can win the game, but at some point they're going to break through, beat Alabama. Nick Saban's fifteen and zero against Arkansas, fifteen and zero against Tennessee. Yeah, this is that this Neilan's going to be a zoo. 110,000. You got the quarterback that can challenge down the field. Like, I don't know. Can they protect him? Is he mobile enough to escape Will Anderson, who basically lived in AM's backfield? Whew. Like, I don't. As a scary man. Like, even through all of the things that we know about Tennessee, the positives about Tennessee, the positives about the situation and, and all these other stuff, like, it still doesn't feel real. It's it's the reason they're seven and a half. Alabama's a seven and a half point favorite. It's like, I, just even seeing that, just thinking about that, what that would have how ridiculous of a thought that would have been like three years ago is just crazy to think about that there's a seven and a half point spread. I I think Alabama, you know, as we talk about all the time, they're very quick, they're very quickly able to kind of close their shortcomings or fix mistakes and do stuff week to week. Like even with, you know, when you only have five, six days of practice, to turn it around. Yeah. But having AM and Tennessee back to back with what Tennessee is able to do, and I have a feeling that they'll have some creative stuff up their sleeve, they may be exposing that's going to be, you know, two weeks potentially of if Alabama, the shortcomings Alabama does have for those to be a little bit more exposed. Normally, Tennessee, Alabama wouldn't really have to show off anything against Tennessee in the most recent years in terms of what they're able to do. Um, and this year, I think Tennessee is going to give them a run for their money. I do not think they will win the game. But I think it will be within two. Two slightly down. different types of offense, AM and Tennessee. Just just a little. Just a, yeah, just and, a little. The prep is going to be totally different. I've seen right, a lot right, of people right. doing that. And it's fine because Alabama has done this to our brains. They're like, well, you know, Alabama just played a close game. Nick's going to use that to his advantage all week. Yes. In terms of culture and psychology, yes. Because he's going to say, hey, look, you're not, you're not perfect. You're far from it. This was a bad team that almost beat you. They took you to the goal, right? All that stuff. Schematically, they are wildly different in how you prep for this. And oh, I mean, yeah. wildly line adjustments are what determined that final play. Tennessee wants you physically to not be able to see the 11 players align before the ball is snapped. And, and, be, so, and be ex- and exhausted in the yes, late third quarter. While, while you're, while your your upper is yeah. your, your, the, the upper part of your lungs are heaving yeah. because yeah. you just chase someone regardless of whether it was a completion or not. That one, look for Tennessee to do this. It's, it's kind of amazing. They will test your conditioning in the first quarter and they'll run routes deeper on targets they probably won't go to to wear you out. Are we talking ourselves into a close game here? Is that what we're doing? I mean, I think I the, think the spread feels close. Yeah, the spread feels right. But okay. I also All just, right. you know, what happens if Bryce Young gets what happens if Bryce Young starts? He plays a quarter, gets his re injures the shoulder. He's out. Jalen Norrow's in there. Uh, I Tennessee, think it might Tennessee be wins? actually be the spread. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If Tennessee doesn't turn the ball over and that happens, for sure, very good chance. I even think Tennessee could, 
it could be really close if they don't make big mistakes. Uh, if that if that happens, Braden, I think Jameer Gibbs exits the game as a national name. <laughs> he might already. He might that's already. Be, like, I think, already I think it's anyway. like that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, oh, Alabama yeah, running yeah. back Heisman. Like, like that might be that moment if if they don't have Bryce. All right, let's do some uh, some kind of some rapid fire here stuff. We just talked about Ole Miss. They're gonna host Auburn, and Auburn Ole Miss has a 14 and a half point favorite at home against Auburn. Is not a normal thing. That's not do a thing that happens to, Braden, to, to Auburn. Braden, do you know how many times Ole Miss has beaten Auburn in life in in the existence of football? Oh, I don't know actually. No, take a guess. Uh, I have no since idea. Since 1933, um, yeah. you would know. This all of them were stuff. David Cutcliffe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Twelve. Ele- hey, I was close. I was close. close. That was close. Times. Eleven times. It's not a in lot. The history of college football. So, so, so let's go rapid fire here. Then what? And hey, three we... out of those four, they got a coach fired. So if Ole Miss wins, he's definitely fired. So what are I we? Mean, what, what what do they gain though from waiting? Like that's my question about Auburn. Like what? What uh, is the strategy play? Here? I will actually, what Godfrey? I would actually love to hear your take on this because I'll we've do, been just yeah. I'll give you concise about it for weeks. I'll give you concise. There's a lot of external comms decisions that they have to make. They are in the middle of an AD search where they are vetting candidates and moving them through. That's taking a long time for a multitude of Auburn it reasons. Always, well, oh, right, because it it's Auburn. They don't <laughs> want to be, they don't want the streams to cross. And they are. All, there's also a pretty healthy debate right now of do you just make this a joint announcement of transition? Do you separate it? And then a lot of people are saying, well, why not just get the AD higher out of the way, then fire him, but then it comes on this new AD's watch. These are questions that have not been fully answered yet. That's why. But, it, but I guess it, I guess my question is it doesn't matter. You don't need a new AD to make the firing. He's going to be fired. The decision's already been made. Totally I know, semantic. I, I know. Totally I think right. They could be exactly. trying to leverage the new AD if they feel like they've got like some really good options, leverage the new AD to sure. get a better coach, right? Uh, well, I, I mean, it's not about to, the hire, though. It's not about I, the hire, though. It's about which hire. You mean it's about the, the fire, not the hire? Like, the to me, I don't, Godfrey, you correct me if I'm wrong here. To me, hiring the athletic director and firing Brian Harson are mutually exclusive. Like, they're not, we've already, de- we're, we're already, we've already decided that he's. Both Harson's are going to happen. Yes, bo- both are going to happen. But right now, there's, there's a couple things here, too, that I'll fill in. Like, just, John Hartwell could be announced, who's the AD at Utah State, who's one of yeah. the favorites. John Hartwell right. could be announced three weeks after Brian Harson is fired. It has no impact on who the new coach is, right? No, oh, no, not ne- no, not necessarily. No, in fact, that's one of the big concerns amongst the AD candidates, and it should be was, hey, we've we've seen how you sabotage the beginning and the end of a coach hiring process. What <laughs> level of autonomy and what level of leadership am I going to have? That's what a huge does, issue. I get it, but oh, what does that have to do with also, physically negotiating thing, guys, Brian Harson's out? Back up, back up, back up, Brayden. Gonna... I'm going to tell you. Okay, okay. Who's the okay. offensive and defensive coordinators at Auburn? Can you name them? Eric Keesaw. Oh, they're all his guys. You mean they're Boise guys. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So your interim head coach is probably going to be Cadillac <laughs> or um, oh, who's the defensive assistant that uh, I think where's Ronnie Gardner when you need him. <laughs> uh, dude, that's not a joke right now at Auburn. Uh, uh, oh man. There's another defensive assistant who played at Auburn. It's the name escaped me. And I, I know who you're talking uh, about too. They will have to go with one of them. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you you got so you both of your coordinators are Harson loyalists, and they know yeah, that they're okay. Wayne Duck. Like the other thing that I was told by an Auburn booster this week was, the longer you let it burn, the more unified Auburn becomes, which is not a thing that happens that often. We said this last week on the show, Aaron. Right? Like the only thing there, the only thing that aligns Auburn right now is their distaste for Brian Harson. That's it. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that that that's like if Lane if Lane can if Lane can beat that spread if Lane can cover. Which he's going to, by the way. I'm just so weird about that. Like, I don't know. 
that uh, maybe that's They're an old alumnus thing. He's yeah, too close yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, quickly here. With LSU, they're play Florida this weekend. With Arkansas, three straight losses. Uh, they've got a bizarre game against BYU this weekend. That's a BYU's not been good against the run. So hopefully, don't with schedule KJ, that with KJ. Je- I agree with you, but with Just KJ don't. Jefferson in the running game, hopefully BYU's given up like three hundred per game on the ground. So like Arkansas should find some space. They're actually favored, but with LSU, Arkansas, Kentucky specifically. I just want you guys to kind of go through each of you to say, all right, is this bad luck? Is this injuries? Is it coaching staff mistakes? Is it just bad scheduling and timing on Arkansas's part, for example? Again, should have beaten AM, kick bounces off the upright, then you yeah. lose your star quarterback. Is it a okay. combination of all of these? How concerned which, should which these three be? schools? Kentucky, LSU, and Arkansas. How concerned Are we going should school by school? Kentucky offensive line is really bad right now. And Levis, there's your answer right there, flat out. So it's so not give, working give, in the bat. Give me the level of concern fans should have over problems with team versus just outside stuff that some shit just happens sometimes. I mean, look, Kentucky thought they would kind of have a a more of a crest year where they're, you know, make another run at Georgia in the East. I don't think that's going to happen because of injuries. But overall, like the system isn't broken. You just you have bad injury. uh, I want to say luck, but you have a bad injury situation situation. Arkansas is going to be more interesting referendum in the offseason. I would like more data points as they go down the stretch. I'm not trying to cop out necessarily, but. You know, what's funny is like all offseason. I think the last time I was on the show, I just like I, I spent five months saying i'm not going to say a word about lsu because i have no idea what they look like i don't know what they look like and it's october nope um, I, for, I don't florida, know florida, those... florida lsu is the exact same situation it's like it's ruddy yeah. uh napier napier did a very smart move this offseason which was he was incredibly quiet and he knows how bad it is yeah. relative to florida standards um i don't I have a lot of questions about LSU's offense and Dimbrock worked really well at Cincinnati for what Luke wanted to do. I just, I don't know about that side of the ball at all as they move forward. Aaron, you've been, you've been inside a program, Aaron. Is it, it, again, just bad luck, bad timing, scheduling the nature of the game or more, more to it than that with these three teams? Sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. You can just, you can explain away losing to South Carolina because you don't have your star quarterback. You can explain away not being as competitive with Mississippi State because you don't have your star quarterback. Like, you know, LSU again. I, I don't know. I, I have. I don't love Jaden Daniels. I don't think he operates within an offense very well. But whatever. So I guess the, the question for you is the same with those three. Just weird situations, bad luck, bad t- bad scheduling, or right. big, bigger concerns. I think with LSU. So LSU has always had like massive amounts of talent, at least in that um, the the visible players, their first string, they've always had talent. Their problem almost a a large majority of the time is their ability to harness it. We've talked about this and I've compared it to, you know, what, or at least made a reference to what Calipari is able to do, able to take all of these, you know, great basketball stars from all over the country that are used to being one man shows and make them play together. And I think LSU um, has had that problem in the past of being able to make everything work, even when they had a lot of talent, but they definitely, their O-line is, definitely a work in progress they do have health issues and i think some of the injuries have exposed that maybe they have a little bit more of a depth problem than we knew from the jump so i think lsu's really is like uh personnel how much of the lsu because that was a ridiculous performance by tennessee something we haven't seen in a long time Hendon hookers a complete control i don't want to undersell how good tennessee was no we need to, we need to reiterate those that two things are separate but but how much of that so are we we, we can separate the two and say LSU has 
only been involved with Brian Kelly for a couple of months and that Hendon Hooker and Tennessee are a- absolutely in a different planet right now than normal Tennessee. Is that, is that does I that make sense? They're separate. Is that what I we're think doing? that's fair, but then it's also like from the quarterback position, if we are going to go back to that, just like, you know, that very clear problem is just, there's, you just see it teeter between ability to make really good decisions and then just a complete lack of ability to decide what, you know, what he's going to do. And so you just can't, and LSU, I don't even think it had an interception um, or pick until Saturday. So that, and I know that looks good on paper, but all in all, that means that there's not a ton of risk being taken, um, but there are mistakes being made. So it's just hard, like, you, what what we said earlier, it is quarterback heavy, and you yeah. there's other problems too, but you just can't exist between with a quarterback that is hasn't, either making great decisions or making horrible ones or not deciding at all. Hasn't Kelly said, "I'd rather you throw interceptions than not make any decisions at all." Like, I think Brian Kelly said that about Jaden Daniels, but I hadn't God, heard him say that. But I I would see why. God Godfrey, more Tennessee being up and better, and Hendon Hooker, or more questions about LSU. I mean, people don't leave Baton Rouge. Could be Rouge. both. I mean, it could be both. Def- I think it is both. I, well, I had a lot of, I knew a lot of people at that game that were Tennessee fans, and I've never seen LSU. I mean, I know fans have their bad moments and they leave games, but there was a lot of people leaving that game in the third quarter. Third quarter, that was bad. This whole conversation to me makes more okay. sense as 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 we're talking about Kentucky and Arkansas because I think we both like what what Godfrey just said. He's like, it's October and I still don't know. And so I think this question has a lot more to do with Arkansas and Kentucky, which are both systems that we yeah. all thought were working. Whereas LSU was just a system that we had no idea what it Hasn't was, or what it was going to be. Yeah. And Arkansas, I think is like Arkansas is especially interesting. And I still have questions around that. And I would love for y'all to go into that a little bit more about what exactly there is not working. I know there's been some bad play calling. It does feel like there's been some issues executing exactly what they want to do offensively, but what do you guys think it is beyond just I, those surface level things? I mean, the A&M game was pure luck in my opinion. Like they, yeah. they lose, they lose that game out of luck. Like that fumble doesn't happen like that in a hundred. If you play, if you played that ran that play a hundred times again, it would never happen like that. And if you kick the field goal a hundred times again, you're never going to hit it off the top of the upright. That's just to me, that was luck. And then the Mississippi state game was, no, no KJ Jefferson for the most part. Again, that's why I want to find out what they look like against BYU. Uh, I, I know that was sort of a question inside of a question because I started asking about Tennessee there and LSU. And I, I could see I could see LSU not being involved in this because Arkansas and Kentucky are a little bit more established and specifically around their quarterback injuries. So uh, any any bold predictions from you guys? I'll, we'll let you guys go here. And Godfrey, we appreciate you hanging out at 38 Godfrey on all the socials, of course. Uh, Aaron, where can people find you? You got to turn your mic on there, Aaron. Oh, no, turn, Aaron disappeared. Aaron is oh, gone. Sorry. There we go. The, there we the go. Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron <laughs> underscore Dugan on the gram. And Fringe Element is brought to you by? Um, It's brought to you by... <laughs> I almost... Never mind. J.E. Dunn. <laughs> there you go. Uh, J.E. Dunn, one of the healthiest places to work in America. Make right decisions about your career and about your life. Go work at J.E. Dunn. 25 offices around the country. Tons of offices in the Southeast. They and tell them we told you to work. Tell them we told you there over five billion in annual revenue. And of course, they got like video games and like you know record players and gr- cool you shit. Know, they got their office in Nashville is one of the coolest bu- office buildings I've ever been to in my entire life. Because you know what, they care about you, the employee. So come work for them at jedun.com. All right, anything crazy that's, that's happening this weekend? We Auburn fires Brian Harson. Tennessee beats Alabama. LSU, Florida, anything. Mississippi State, Kentucky is a really interesting game if Will Levis plays. 
Shane Beamer's going to do some TikToking, I guess. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, Harson could happen because it's a bye week. That's uh, they're going into a bye week. Uh, that's that's always been one of the consistent pieces of information throughout this process. Not exactly a like revelation there, but yeah, okay. yeah, it makes it makes a little more sense than uh, I mean earlier would have made the most sense, but we're gonna try to make it make sense. I guess this week would. Um, uh, I don't know. I think I think Alabama Tennessee. I'm super excited about Alabama Tennessee. Obviously. Uh, that spread is is very small, but it would be fun for that game to be that close. Um, I, I, I think if yeah. Levis plays, Kentucky wins. They've won three straight at home against Mississippi State uh, under Stoops, although Mississippi State has dominated that series, I think 10 out of the last 13 overall. If Will Levis plays, I think Kentucky beats Mississippi State at home because that feels like a moment where Mississippi State does something to cost themselves, doesn't it? Yeah. Probably, yeah, historically. Okay. Good to see it. So. Yeah. All right. Well, live from uh, live from the beach here uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Appreciate you guys you hanging out with brat. us. Turn on your notifications. Check out the YouTube. We got Fringe Element Picks Against the Spread with Stephen Lasson on Friday. So make sure you check all that out at all as well. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. My name's Braden Gall. Go to Jay Dunn, everybody. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Podcast Network. Bye.